Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. This evening, I want to bring you a message, a message about having faith and really asking ourselves, where is our faith? Who is our faith in during this tough moment, during this Good Friday celebration, as it looks like we're in the darkness right now, but we know that Sunday, Easter Sunday, God's resurrecting Sunday is on its way. I'm going to read tonight's scriptures. They come from Mark chapter 14, verses 22 to 26 and 32 to 41. I'd encourage you to open your Bibles and read them with me as I do that. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, I tell you the truth. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. They went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Turning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This coronavirus crisis is really asking all of us a profound question, which is what, or rather who, do you put your faith in? The dictionary defines faith as having great trust or confidence in something or someone. So really ask yourself up to this moment in your life, whether in years gone by or in the months leading up to this crisis, where has your faith been? Who or what has your faith been in? What have you built your trust and confidence around? Now, if you call yourself a Christian, of course, you're going to want to answer Jesus. My faith, trust and confidence are in Jesus. But great as that is, I just want you to sit for a moment and ask yourself again, truly, up to this crisis we now find ourselves in, in who or what have you been putting your faith in? Whether that's been instead of Jesus or alongside him, as well as him. Because coronavirus is upending our world and upending the things most people put their faith in, whether that's been science, the global economy, our political leaders, our health system, all of these things in modern Western countries like Australia that we rely on are being radically challenged. Our trust and our confidence in them is being shaken to the ground. We are seeing an unprecedented health crisis combined with an 
unprecedented economic crisis. Perhaps for you, your faith has been in your work and your profession. That's when it was stable, when you could rely on having a job. Or maybe it was in your finances when they felt more secure because of the careful investments and planning you'd made. Or maybe you're realizing now in isolation just how much your faith and confidence and self-worth had come from your circle of friends and being able to go out and socialize with them on a regular basis and having that fun. Or maybe it's been a spouse or a partner, a boyfriend or a girlfriend who you've relied on for emotional support. But now they themselves are struggling to deal with what's going on and so maybe feel less available. In my house, you know, with us in our marriage, really the dynamic is that we just both are collapsing into the bed at the end of the day, tired and exhausted. My wife from trying to um, keep the kids um, occupied and alive, let alone working through their school curriculum, and me feeling like I'm in some ways working harder than ever before on back-to-back Zoom meetings, trying in every conversation to figure out how to wrestle with and come through things strategically uh, in situations that we've never had to consider before. It's exhausting. And so relationships are undoubtedly suffering in the midst of that. Whatever this looks like for you, coronavirus is stripping us all back and asking us to really examine where, who, or in what we truly put our faith, trust, and confidence in. So what has that been for you? What has that been for you? For me personally, I've always relied on my ability to control situations and outcomes by working hard and getting things done. If you're familiar with the Enneagram personality test, I'm a type three, the competitive achiever, which sounds a bit icky, I know. Who wants to be friends with a competitive achiever, let alone married to one, right? So you should probably be spending and sending some prayers for my wife in the midst of all of this. And so as a competitive achiever, I like to think that with enough strategic forethought, preparation, lots of work, and a bit of persuasion, I can get through almost any situation to the outcome that I am hoping for or think will be best. Now, when used for good, which I hope is more often than not and that those closest to me would agree is the case, I'm able to use my strategic planning and strong levels of drive and motivation to pull people together to achieve great things. Like in my work with Micro Australia, where we are mobilizing Australian Christians across the country to go and meet with politicians, the prime minister himself, to speak about the needs of the world's most poor, vulnerable, and oppressed to achieve timely and often significant policy outcomes. But of course, the shadow side to this kind of personality is a tendency to become impatient, frustrated, anxious, even angry when things aren't going the way that I had envisaged or worked hard to achieve. So when coronavirus obliterated all of my neatly laid plans and strategies for this year, some of which had quite literally been in the works for over two years, laying the groundwork for a political moment that I thought we were entering into before all of this, you can imagine how I felt. I was ticked off, frustrated, confused, and anxious about where things were going to be heading now. We were also saving and planning as a family. We'd even bought tickets for a trip to take the whole family back to Ethiopia, our eldest daughter Zipporah's homeland, to make a really important visit there for her. That obviously won't happen now, at least this year. And really in the grand scheme of things, my work plans and our travel plans being disrupted are pretty insignificant when you consider 
how people's lives are being totally upended by this virus all around us. In America alone, they're going to go past 15,000 deaths over this Easter long weekend as a result of the coronavirus. But nonetheless, that disruption has been real for me personally and for my family. And it doesn't need to be held in comparison to that of others to be real, to be difficult and to be unsettling in its own ways for us. And that's true for you and for all of us right now. There were things up until recently we were putting our faith in or had been planning for that now simply won't happen. And that is going to affect all of us in its own ways. You see, as people, the ability to have faith in the important people and things that make up our lives is essential. We need to feel a certain level of confidence and trust from which we can build an identity in order to feel safe, to make meaning of this world and to go about our daily lives. But the coronavirus is returning us to something that's always been true, whether we've been attuned to its reality or not, which is that we are actually not in control of our lives, try as we might to make it seem that way. We know this because before this, we've all been through unpredictable and unexpected moments of disruption in our lives before. We've lost loved ones whose time we felt had come too early. We've seen relationships that we thought would be permanent break apart. We've banked on certain outcomes or achievements in our work and professional lives that have fallen through. We've received diagnoses for illnesses that we never thought we'd have. And the good news is God has taken us through those moments, just like he will take us through this one that we are in right now. But we need to remember his faithfulness in our lives and the faithfulness that he has shown to us in challenges before this one. Because it is so easy to suffer from a spiritual amnesia that forgets the good things God has done for us. One striking example of this in the scriptures is found in Exodus in chapters 14 through 16. In the span of just a couple of chapters, we see the Israelites delivered from slavery and bought through the Red Sea. And yet here they are again grumbling about not having food to eat. And we want to say to them, don't you remember what God just did for you? The water stood up like two walls and you walked straight through the Red Sea on dry ground. Don't you think that the God who can do this is also capable of giving you food to eat? Trust him. But of course, we're like this too, aren't we? God brings us through an incredible trial or answers a prayer. And within a few days, it's almost forgotten. We're already looking to the next struggle on the horizon and finding reasons to gripe and complain, to doubt. We have to find ways of remembering God's faithfulness in our tough and uncertain seasons to move us through the future ones we will face and the one we are facing right now. This coronavirus moment has taken me back to another time when I was forced to really realize the fact that I wasn't in control and instead was going to need to live by faith. And that was in the months just before Britt and I went to live and work in Nepal for several years, back in about 2011 or so. During this time, in the few months leading up to our departure, I'd become quite fixated and fearful about how dangerous bus and plane travel in Nepal was due to the mountainous roads and the perilous high altitude landing strips. And I knew how frequent and essential taking such journeys would be to us properly doing the work that we were being sent over to do there. Britt's job was to go out and conduct monitoring and evaluation assessments, literally in the most poor and remote communities in Nepal. And quite regularly, we'd have to go on bus trips that could take anywhere from between nine up to 17 hours 
We'd have to wait in small airports, often for days at a time until there was a gap in the clouds to fly these tiny shaky planes up through the mountains to reach our destination. And even when we reached that destination, which is often a larger village surrounded by smaller ones, we'd often then have to walk sometimes for several days to reach that final community or cluster of communities where we would be conducting our work. And having been to Nepal on shorter trips before that larger one, I knew from experience quite literally that there is not a single road journey of any significant distance that you take in Nepal where you don't see the wreckage of a bus that is tipped off the side of a cliff, whether in the hours just before you've been there or the scarred ruins of a um, broken down, wrecked out bus that's fallen and been scraped across the cliff. Likewise, Nepal's two main internal airlines were literally and still are rated close to the worst and most dangerous in the world due to their crash records. And we took countless flights on those planes. And so there came a very real moment where I was thinking to myself, is this really worth it? Is the work that we are going to do over there quite literally worth risking our lives for? Because that is in essence what we were doing. And I don't say that with exaggeration. It just was, just was. The same kind of risk that some of you are being asked to take right now as health workers going into the hospital where this virus lives and is uh, infecting people and trying to control that and bringing healing into those environments. That is a risk to you that you are experiencing in the line of your profession and God's calling on your life. But during a retreat for our preparing to go training that was being run by a missions agency, they asked us to write down our biggest fear and offer it to God. And so I did. I wrote down my fear that we would come to our end in a bus plunging off a cliff or a plane crashing into the side of a mountain. But as I prayed to God for him to take this fear from me, he didn't. The fear remained and it stayed with me every time I got on a bus to cross a mountain pass or the tiny plane I was in started to shake violently before needing to make its narrow landing. Instead, what God did was reveal to me that even if there was a serious and very real risk to our lives in going to Nepal, it was worth it because that is where he was calling us. And so we went. We went and as a result of going, we saw God in the most incredible ways through the people that we met, the love we encountered and were shown, the protection God did provide for us through bus trips, through plane rides, through monsoons, and even through an earthquake and the stunning beauty of God's creation every single day in the natural landscapes that surrounded us the entire time that we were there. It was a remarkable time in our lives. It was a time that tested, but ultimately built our faith in ways we could never have imagined. And it almost didn't happen because of my fears and my inability to let go of control. Point of me sharing that story with you is this. You cannot begin to imagine how and in what ways God wants to use you on the other side of you saying yes to following him in this moment of great uncertainty with an even if faith that puts trusting him above all else. I want to say that again because I think it's important. You cannot begin to imagine how and in what ways God wants to use you on the other side of you saying yes to following him in this moment of great uncertainty with an even if faith that puts trusting in him above all else. That even if my life might come to ruin, I might lose my job, I might get injured, I might lose a loved one, I might even lose my life. Even if that happens, I'm willing to put my faith in God and to follow him. 
I had to push past my fears, to push past my uncertainties, to push past what my brain was rationally telling me might realistically happen to us if we went to Nepal and I had to trust God. And for many of us, coronavirus is forcing us to realize what has been true all along before there was a patient zero in Wuhan, before the virus jumped borders and started coming and spreading across the world, before this came, the all-dominating, all-encompassing threat and focus that it is now today for almost every person on this planet, the truth that we are not and never have been in control. And that truth can either freak us out lead us to despair, push us to try harder in our own strength or drive us to faith. But it cannot be just any faith. It cannot be the kind of shallow faith of materialism that says to God, only if you promise me that I'll be safe, I'll put my faith in you. Only if I know I'll keep my job, I'll put my faith in you. Only if I know you'll protect my family, I'll put my faith in you. Only if I know you'll give me the money and the resources I need to keep this house, to keep this car, I'll put my faith in you. Only if I know that the bus won't fall off the road or the plane won't crash out of the sky, I'll put my faith in you. Because while he does long to take care of our physical and material needs and whilst he longs to heal and protect us and to keep us from harm and in so many circumstances does this kind of physical and material provision and protection is not ultimately what jesus died on the cross for us for or we'd all live forever and nothing bad would ever happen to us but that's not the case Now, what Jesus died on the cross for was far greater than that. He died to bring us the forgiveness of sins through taking on the punishment for them himself. He died to absorb in his perfection all of the brokenness, sickness, and pain and suffering we've inflicted on one another and see in this world. He died and took on the weight and heaviness of all of this so that in his rising again from the grave three days later, God could declare to the world with confidence that there is a person and a force in this world that is more powerful then sin and death and the destruction we see all around him and his name is Jesus. So God does not want us to practice an only if faith that comes with our own sets of condition. Instead, he wants us to practice a more bold, daring, and yes, even more difficult and painful faith that says in every season and circumstance, you know what, God, even if the worst happens, I will put my faith in you. It's this even if faith that we display, that we see displayed in the great faith stories of the Bible. Stories of flawed men and women who make mistakes, who doubt, who even try to turn and run, but who ultimately go through their own even if moment in pursuing God's plans and purposes over their own. And of course, nowhere is this more beautifully portrayed than in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before Jesus was betrayed and turned over to be crucified. It says in the account of this provided in Luke in chapter 22 from verses 39 to 46 this, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching that place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. What happened in the Garden of Gethsemane that evening was not that Jesus gave himself some almighty pep talk by chucking in his earphones, listening to his favorite playlist on Spotify or his favorite preacher and getting himself pumped up to take on this challenge in front of him head on. No, Jesus struggled. He agonized. In fact, in the recounts given of his story in both Matthew and Mark, Jesus first says to the two disciples he took with him before he goes to pray, 
My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And as I just read to you in the account given by Luke, it says to us that being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And that isn't just a metaphorical way of saying Jesus was stressed. It actually has a medical term, hematidrosis, where capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture, causing them to exude blood, occurs under conditions of extreme physical and emotional stress. It actually happens. So here we have Jesus literally coming to the end of himself physically and emotionally because he knows what is coming if he follows God into what comes next is going to be the toughest thing he has ever faced. And rather than making some fist-pumping declaration of victory and of faith or a big speech to his followers, he offers perhaps the most honest and vulnerable prayer ever made alone in the quiet of the night, in the air of the garden, whilst his disciples sleep. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. It's Jesus, even if moment. And ultimately, it leads him to the cross. Perhaps you already live with a bold, even if faith. And I pray that there are those amongst us who do and are walking in this right now because we need you. We need you to lift us up, to spur us on, to call us to remember in our own lives where we have experienced such a faith and God has come through for us. Perhaps you've had this even if faith before, but you haven't been practicing it because you've been busy or you simply haven't needed to. I mean, when I look back on this and I consider what was happening before we went to Nepal and whilst we were there, that's really the story of my life. Here in Newcastle, as a competitive achiever, I feel like I can just work things out according to my plans without too much of God's intervention oftentimes. Or maybe you've never experienced what it's like to put your faith in a power that's bigger than you, let alone the God of the Bible who may seem abstract, confusing, or even intimidating to you at times based on previous experiences or things that you've thought about him or been told about him before. Here's the thing. Wherever you're at today, his message is simple and his message is clear. He loves you, cares for you. He has a plan for you. And not just for you, but a plan for this world, a plan to bring it all back together again, to bind up every broken heart, to care for every hurting soul, to rectify every cruel injustice, to breathe life into every tired and weary body, to save this planet from every sickness and to bring us into an eternal peace and reconciliation with him. That is the power of Easter, that from this darkest day, this dark day that we are in right now due to coronavirus, we can look forward and know that hope is on the way and that even if we are called to go through suffering from where we are now to that hope that is and is available and is coming, that his love is trustworthy, that it's true. And it is the one thing that we can put our faith and trust and confidence in. And living this side of resurrection, this side of Easter Sunday, we can take in our circumstances and in the world around us, a stance of boldness and faith, because we know that whilst it looks like Friday right now, that Sunday is coming. That is the good news of the Bible, that Jesus reigns, that Jesus overcomes death, that his kingdom of peace and healing and joy is coming and is in fact already amongst us through his resurrection. That is the Easter Sunday hope that we look forward to from this moment in Good Friday. And I want to pray for you now as we close. I want to pray that you would be people of peace amidst these uncertain times. I want to pray that you would be bold followers of Jesus with an even if faith that calls you into tough circumstances. 
Some of you are going to be asked to do heroic things in these coming times. I think particularly of those of you who are health workers, we need you to have an even if faith. It's a faith that's going to risk your life. It's a faith that might not seem fair for you to have to carry at this time. God has you in this role for a reason and he will see you through it. Likewise, for others who are just working so hard to make ends meet in their homes and in their families, looking at their finances, wondering what's going to happen, trying to keep control of the kids and literally not trying to break under that pressure, trying to keep them encouraged and motivated through this. You need to trust that Jesus has got you in this, that you can have an even if faith that allows you to serve those people and to keep moving forward, even if you don't know what's going to happen. So I'm going to take some time now. I'm just going to pray for you. And uh, as we do that, I just encourage you, even in the quiet of your home, whether you're with people or by yourself, to close your eyes and just receive these words of prayer and this blessing over your life in this Easter season that we're in. Let's pray. God, we just thank you that you love us, that you care for us, that you know us, that you see us right now where we sit in our living rooms, listening, sitting in a world that has just become for us, for many of us anyway, so uncertain. And we know that you are caring for us. We know that whilst you don't inflict suffering on this world, Lord God, because it comes from our brokenness, you are in the middle of it with us, standing beside us. You want to mourn with those who are mourning. You want to comfort those who are in distress. You want to bring community to those who feel without community, Father God. We receive that, God. And in receiving it, Lord, we also pray it, Father God, for those who need right now to experience a very real touch of your love and your presence. Those lying in hospitals who cannot have members of family visit them or who are surrounded by the chaos of beeping machines, doctors running to and fro, wondering if anyone sees them or knows them. Lord, you see them, you know them, minister to the people lying in those beds right now. Father God, we pray as well for those in our world who already knew great pain and suffering before the coronavirus, for those who knew great pain and suffering because it's what they live with daily due to being in situations of extreme poverty and being unable to feed their children and their families before this, Lord God, or who were living in great uncertainty because of violent wars and conflicts breaking out around them that had forced them from their houses and now they're residing in camps, Lord, squashed 12 people to a tent being asked to practice social distancing when they're lucky to have been able to wash even once a week before coronavirus, God. And knowing now that this virus is coming in their direction, Lord God, and starting to bring infection and outbreak in places that were already suffering and already had no capacity to deal with this, Father God, you are there. And we pray, we pray that you are there amongst them, ministering to those people, and we know you are. God, in this moment, as we look out over our own lives, over this world, give to us an even if faith that enables us to trust in you. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.